And uh, um, actually, this is now going to be parts A, B, C, D, and E at least. <laughs> because uh, today, actually, all I did was, um, if you look at Roman numeral two, we're looking at five diagnostic tools to map progress in the process. Now, I've made the point on the vi uh, five vital signs of life. We're going to look at, in this message, we're going to look at the five first steps of entering the kingdom. But here's the point I made on the first that I want you to get. You can't be a leader if you don't have this stuff memorized. If you're going to be of any use to the Lord, you need to know the five vital signs of life so well that you're thinking about them when you're pastoring people. Because they're, they're a tool that the scriptures have given us to help you know, because what is happening today, there are a number of reasons, the state of the church, the, the fact that we've kind of gone more Greco-Roman than Hebrew in our way of approaching scripture, so that it's all about theoretical, whether we have our doctrines right, but not about whether we have our orthopraxy right. Orthodoxy means right worship or right belief. Orthopraxy means right practice. And orthodoxy is supposed to lead to orthopraxy, but it's not, there's, there's this big gap in it today. And there's, there's literally the majority of Christians, I'm talking in the high 90s of percent of Christians that have been brought up in Christianity, have prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever Christian tradition, are not living the Christian life that, in any way that kind of looks like the Bible. And we've almost had no one walk in our doors that has not needed to have the, their conversion to Christ completed because they've met the Lord. And in some cases, there are signs that there is spiritual life in their spirit. But what's supposed to happen is the effectual calling of the gospel is supposed to lead to the new birth, which leads to conversion. And they're supposed to be so bang, bang, that you can only talk about them as separate things in a theoretical way. But uh, conversion includes repentance, turning away from self-centered self-determination, being a control freak, doing your own thing, being your own God, and living God's way. Faith is not about intellectually agreeing with the th theories of the Trinity or whatever, but living your life based on them. And what's happening all over the world is uh, the, the body of Christ today has, excuse my analogy, and I mean no offense to anyone who has this in the physical, it's just a way of helping us understand it. Most Christians today have cerebral palsy, spiritually speaking. Now, cerebral palsy is a terrible thing that happens where uh, usually it's because the umbilical cord went around the baby's neck in the, in the birth process, and, you know, hospitals get sued if they let this happen and so forth. But it deprives oxygen to the brain for a long enough time that the, the, the uh, child is burned permanently paralyzed and damaged. And so that's, you'll see a lot, you know, depending on how bad it was, they may not be able to walk or their legs are, usually their legs are crooked, their arms are crooked or whatever. What, we're have, what we have today is thousands of Christians that have been born either stillborn or they've been born with some kind of birth defects. We really need a Christian church uh, movement that's the March of Dimes. 
You know what, what the March of Dimes was a very effective thing. Uh, the, if you ever get a chance to look at the history of it and all, it's a wonderful thing that basically raised awareness and did research and changed all kinds of things in the medical community to to cut down on birth defects. But what these tools are for is to help you for yourself and for those you're trying to help understand what, what went wrong. Why does this Christian person not look very Christian in so many ways? And that's what we're after here. And so therefore, the five vital signs of life help you because, you know, I've actually had a few pastor friends that know a little bit about our church and, and, and have been here for different things, like our, a couple of them sat in on our uh, four study sessions on systematic theology, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the stuff we do, and, you know, on the Mondays, the Tuesday and Thursday nights when people are here to, to hear extra teachings and study to become leaders and so forth, and they've said, you know what, that's not happening in hardly any churches. And I'm like, what? What else would you do? Like, you're called the fish for men. How are you going to fish for men if you don't know God's word? If you don't have hundreds, of, you got to have hundreds of scriptures memorized, or you can't really walk with God. Yet hardly anybody memorizes scripture anymore. So, you know, we have a crisis where the gap between what we say we believe and the reality of what we're living is just too huge today. And almost no one walks in our door that doesn't has not been crippled, damaged, and, and hurt by that gap. And it's not a matter of trying to be prideful or anything. It's a matter of love. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes only to kill, rob, and destroy. And when you 95 to 99% of Christians have more of the thief killing, robbing, and destroying their life than they have the abundant life going on. And we are trying to be a, a community of Christians that helps you find all of what God has for you. Now, I can't promise you the Christian life doesn't have crosses to bear and rejections to face or anything like that, but I can tell you that when you walk with God through them, it is the most it is the only life worth living it's wonderful full of wonder it's awesome to love god and love him with all your heart and 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 do everything you do financially vocationally everything for the glory of god and anything less is not worth living so that's why you need these diagnostic tools for yourself and we need them. If you're going to help people grow, you need them. Find someone who's stuck and help them get, walk them through to the next step. So now I want to look at uh, the five first steps that, of entering Christ's kingdom. Now, uh, Kennedy, is, uh, did Jordan leave or is he somewhere? Um, let's, what I'd like to do is have, if you look at point C on the back of the outline, I'd like to have you have Catherine or 
Yeah, Catherine would be good. Somebody, or if Beth is willing to, oh, she's busy with the thing, but Deanna Brown could do this. Um, somebody needs to read these scriptures as our readings for today and put them on the podcast with the message. And if we make a CD of it, it can go with it. But I'm asking you for the sake of time so I can have more time to uh, speak to you, to, to look at those scriptures that are in point C, Acts 2 through Acts 19 there. Read those, and those are our scripture readings for today. Okay? Now, um, let's flip back over to the first page, five diagnostic tools. We looked at five vital signs of life. I'm just going to mention a couple of the others real quick. Here's one of the problems is that regeneration and conversion, biblically and theoretically, if the church was not in such mass religious confusion, should be very clear. You, but it's not always these days, it's especially people who've been raised in the church. Okay, so... Re regeneration and conversion should be followed by sanctification and maturation. Hopefully you know what those four concepts mean. I don't have time to develop them. The new birth and turning is what's supposed to happen at the beginning of your Christian life. But what's happening is, again, people are being born with birth defects, and they're kind of turning, instead of turning 180 degrees like you have to, they kind of turn 15 degrees or something. And P, uh, there's a lot of reasons as why we're going to talk about inner healing here in a little bit when we talk about the five first steps. What's, what happens is this. When, when you've been brought up in a less than fully functional home with a good Christian father who really studies and knows and has been discipled in how to be an effective father, and a mother who's been, who knows how uh, to be an effective biblical mother, and when they have a great marriage together, and there's uh, submission and respect and servant leadership and all, and good communication for for skills for for working through that that they literally have learned how to make their differences become uh, uh, bridges to to d deeper walk with God and each other versus walls to, walls that build up over time where they just still live in the same house but they just but then they make sort of they cope but they're not really in communion together if you haven't been brought up that way you will have areas of your life where you're stuck and here's what happens when kids get traumatized they they uh i i meet guys all the time that act like a 25 or a 45 or 50-year-old, whatever they're supposed to do, maybe in their area of their vocation. But in other areas of life, you go, this person's like eight years old. And this is, almost everybody has this today. If you want to read a great book, read The Death of the Grown-Up by Diana West. But um, where, in, when it comes to how they deal with their emotions or whatever, they're a child. And so part of what, you need these diagnostic tools in the ministry because what we want to, to see is that God has this big problem. It's almost blasphemous to say this, but I'm trying to get a point across. He thinks he's God. 
and you can't have other gods in your heart and life and walk with him. You cannot serve two masters. And we have literally millions of Christians who want to go to heaven, but they still have this thing going on inside, what's the minimum I can do? You know, like those late night car commercials, like minimum e- five easy payments. <laughs> you know, all the Christians are looking for maximum results with minimum monthly upkeep. <laughs> because we live in the sales narcissistic culture of modern times. You know, good salesmen actually tell you the real cost and help you understand why the costs are worth paying because the benefits outweigh the cost. But we become peddlers of Christianity. We're so divided that the way people are trying to compete for members is just to throw integrity out the door. You need these things. You need to have them memorized. And I'll tell you the honest truth. that I have a hard time with all the time. I've taught this stuff a hundred times. And I'll ask people, what are the five first steps of entering the kingdom? And they still can't get it right. Really? I know we're really broken as a culture and the divorce culture and stuff, but you know what? I pastored Christians in the 70s and the 80s who heard this once and kept it for the rest of their Christian walk. You got to know the five first steps of entering the kingdom, and you got to know whether you've gone through all five of them or not. And you've got to know the five vital signs of life if you're ever going to love anyone. Because if your baby was sick, you'd want to know. And you want to have the right diagnosis and the right treatment plan. Duh. And yet, we want to measure success just by how many people are coming through the turnstile. And, you know, pastors actually talk about how many they're running, meaning how many butts are sitting in the pew. It's disgusting. How many people have you helped their whole life become all that God has for them? That's the real biblical issue. If the person has social skills issues, I want to help them get get the whatever area that they got stuck in, let's as a community of believers walk each other through to wholeness in Christ. So, now, with this regeneration conversion thing, I will say that because of our religious confusion, sometimes it's hard to really know if really a regeneration or a conversion has happened. That's why the early Christians, lots of the literature of the first seven centuries is about true and false conversion. Jesus, wheats and tares, Jesus identifies this problem several times in the Gospels. Paul talks about it. That's We read to St. Corinthians, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. He's talking to a Christian church that he's already commended for being Christians in the first chapter. And he's saying, test yourself because Jesus Christ is in you if you don't fail the test. Meaning if you fail the test, Jesus Christ is not in you. And it breaks my heart. I, I, every, every night I have trouble sleeping. I cry out to God and say, Lord, there are people that come all the time. 
that I don't even know if they're really Christians or not. Using the five vital signs of life, I, like, oh my God, save us, Lord. And, you know, the reason I can't sleep is that I love you. Now, I don't think we have tons of those kind of people, but we have some, and every church has lots of them. And most Christians have not understood the message of 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 15. Read the story of Saul, and you've got to get this. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. And that's why Paul, over and over again, when he's listing all the sins of fornication and adultery and, and uh, wrath and dissension, if you notice, like, if you look at the fruits of the flesh in Galatians 5 and another list that Paul has, a lot of them get down to, you know, Sigmund Freud talked about uh, sex and violence. A lot of them get down to uh, not being able to manage your emotions and, and relationships very well and not walking sanctified sexually. And those are, those are actually God's gift to you to say, don't be deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm not preaching works because works follow faith. Listen to my grace series. I was so happy to hear John, you know, uh, Bradbury, listen to the whole grace series with the outlines. I'm always trying to get people to do that, and he's the first one that has. Because uh, real grace will lead to real works, but not the other way around. Your works don't make you accepted. They're more the evidence that grace is working. So when you don't have these five vital signs of life and you haven't, you know, uh, if it's not clear that regeneration and conversion have happened, go back and make sure you lay the foundation of the real gospel. But if sanctification and maturation haven't happened after a while, and that's, you know, one of the things that we're going to, we're working on as a church is to come up with kind of a, most churches have a church covenant and official membership and, and so forth. And, and really that's, you need that. Because going to the communion table should mean something. It should mean you're walking the, in the will of God in your life. And if, you, if you're not progressing in some of the big areas, there's areas like if someone doesn't work, neither let them eat. There's no reason not to have a job more than a week or two in our culture because there's plenty of jobs out there. There, you know, if, if people aren't working, uh, you know, there's no reason to never, if you're not growing in your knowledge of the Bible, then you got to step back from your life and say, where's my priorities? Sure, there's all, you know, there's always something more important to do. You know, Friday night, I was running errands for the church and I was down in Centerville at the Lowe's down by the Dayton Mall and and I realized my chiropractor was down there and I really kind of needed to see him once a week and and I was like, you know, this is this. I was like, well, there's worship at seven, and I can either get to car, or Planet Fitness and, and do an hour on the treadmill, or I can go to chiropractor, but I can't do both. 
And every one of us faces choices like that. I and decided to go to Planet Fitness and did an hour on the treadmill. But uh, my back hurts a lot this morning. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you face choices like that every day. But if, if those choices add up to you're not doing what God wants you to do, then you really need to get with one of the more stable, older Christians in our church and say, help me walk through re-examining the gospel itself in my conversion. And at a certain point, you don't need me chasing you. One of the things I always do when I'm leading someone to Christ is I, I chase them down, I make the appointments, I get together, I make sure they're reading. But after a while, I, let, I begin to see if they'll do chase me down. Because if they don't make the transition where they're seeking godly counsel... Violent men enter the kingdom by force. And if the fact that I'm not saying let's get together, let's make an appointment and, and making it happen means that it's not happening, then there's something wrong with that picture. Now, again, most of us have not had good, loving, encouraging, challenging, tough, loving fathers. And so learning how to seek that takes a little guts. The kingdom's not for wimps. And it takes, Lord, yeah, I'm afraid to seek out counsel because I know I'm going to get rebuked or admonished or whatever. He says, so what? After you try it a few times, it doesn't hurt much. And the benefits, Hebrews 12 says, all discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful, but to those who've been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. All right, I'm not uh, worried about 12 o'clock like I should be, so I'm, let's get into these. Uh, you know, I wish I didn't have to preach all that. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to say, wake up! Because I, it just, it, oh, man, it breaks my heart. It's the saddest thing in my life. I grieve over this all the time. People who hear these messages and nothing's happening. And you're living a terrible life when God wants to give you a great life. So let's uh, flip over, and we're going to look at the five first steps in entering the kingdom. The first one is receiving Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, that Jesus came to his own people, right? But his own did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave them the exousia to become the children of God. So to receive Jesus is to be no longer a child of Adam. No longer, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, to those who weren't believing him. Before you come to Christ, you're of your father, the devil. He's your daddy. And Adam is your daddy, and your sin nature is your daddy, and you are bound by these things. When you come to Jesus, you receive the keys to start unlocking all the chains because you receive the exousia, which means a power and authority. Like a policeman, a policeman has a uniform and a badge, which are representatives of his authority. And if he's directing traffic, uh, you, the reason you do, you know, stop if he's having this lane stop and go if he's, ha because he's got, he's got authority 
And he also has power. He has a gun right here. And uh, now, it's not likely that if you ignore him and drive through that he's going to pull the gun out and shoot you as you drive by. But he probably will call all the other cops for three counties and they'll do whatever it takes to, 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 to have the power. God has given you in Christ not only the authority, but all the power to follow him and obey him. There is no excuse ever for a Christian to continue in sin. That's why 1 John, a book about whether you're in reality or not, says if we continue in sin, the one who says that he knows Jesus ought himself to walk like Jesus. Right? So uh, you have the power. There used to be some song, well, you got the power. You, you have it and the authority to become sons and daughters of God. And sons and daughters, the, I, I, one of the things I love about the babies is I'm always looking at the babies and I'm saying, oh, I see a little of his dad there and a little bit of the mom there. And gee, uh, you know, Samuel looks more like Nathan and, and, uh, and Alethea sort of looks more like Tiffany and, and, uh, so beautiful and cute, just like her mom. And, you know, like, uh, kids look like their parents. Duh. If you're born again, you should start to look like God in the communicable attributes of God. You theology students will know what that means. So let's look at the, you know, so you receive Jesus. There's two steps in that. One is the new birth. That's important because you can't just try harder. Now, one of the things that I'm going to tell you a little bit about John Bradbury's, I'm embarrassing the heck out of him today, his conversion. But one of the first things that happened when Logan invited him to church, and he was an atheist. I gave him the book, uh, More Than a Carpenter to Read, and the next week he was like, wow, I don't know if I'm an atheist anymore. Uh, I didn't realize there was so much evidence for the Christian faith, and he read the book you know, and it was a sign that God was drawing him that he read the whole book in four days. Right? Because most people in our culture, I get them, try to get them to read, try to get them to read, try to get them to read, and I just go to bed and cry. Because uh, <laughs> I can't get them to read. Not only that, but then he started getting this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, guess what? You can't get that. God gave that to him. And he was like, I'm going to try to cut down on his favorite sins, which were different than your favorite sins probably. But, you know, going to bars and partying and beating people up and getting drunk and whatever, his different stuff. You know, and, well, I have different ones. But I let, you know, I didn't immediately pray the sinner's prayer with him. I let that grow as we talked about, and he began to read the Bible. And John read probably more Bible and listened to more podcasts than just about anyone that's come in here, although lots, there's other people in that category. And that's a sign that God's given him life. He's eating all the time. He's nursing at the pure milk of God's word, morning, noon, night. You know, kids want to eat like every couple hours, right? Can't, the wife can't get any sleep because the kid wants to breastfeed like every hour or every two hours or way too often. <laughs> and you got to, you, you know, so... That's how you should be as a young Christian. If you're like, you know, 
if you're not getting baptized, that is totally immersed in the word of God, then something happened. You got some kind of cerebral palsy, still birth, birth defect problem because you should be pushing the other stuff out of your life to get more scripture study and more foundational books and things like that into your life. Right? So when someone uh, has new life, then they're also they're converted. Right? So that's receiving Jesus. Now, the Bible says, Mark 16, 15, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You're not saved by getting water baptized, but you should be like in Acts 8. If you read our scripture readings for today, you'll see Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch had been to Jerusalem. He's a pagan. He doesn't know anything about God or the Bible much, although he was reading Isaiah and so forth. Who knows why he maybe because of what was going on in Jerusalem. And after he hears the message of the eight exchanges made at the cross, which is Isaiah 53, from Philip, he says, look, there's water. Why can't I get water baptized? Because he knows getting water baptized is the covenant ceremony of initiation that the Christians use to say, you're no longer in the sons of Adam. You're now in the sons of God. You, you're no, that's, and you know what? Most cultures, like you ask on Vesh, the Hindus get, they know that. That's why they don't get water baptized unless they mean it. In communist China, you have to register with the government to get, to get water baptized. Uh, or else you, you know, there are lots of underground churches as well that don't follow that. But you're, you risk arrest. You risk losing your career, your job, everything. And if you come to Christ in a Hindu culture, you're gonna you losing everything. That's true in the Islamic culture. You've lost your family. Now that's the problem we have in America, is we think we can have our one foot in each kingdom. If you've received Christ, Jesus was sitting around with his disciples. And they said, your mom and your brothers are outside. We would have gone, I've got to miss the Sunday meeting because we're having a Mother's Day picnic or whatever. And we, you know, we would have had a thousand reasons why we would put our natural family ahead of God's family. But that's not scriptural. Jesus pointed to the disciples and he said, look, those who hear the word of God, which you have, to, you have to be reading it, studying it, you have to be in a community that's oriented toward the study of Scripture, sitting Mary, sitting at the Lord's feet, those who hear the word of God and do it, that's my mother and brother and sisters. Now, I'll, t I'll tell you, I, I don't want to brag or anything like that, I, I, but I do tell you lessons from our life. My parents were born again baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit. They taught me how to cast out demons. But as I began to study the New Testament and so forth, within a year of being a Christian, I, the, the, the radical uh, idea of Christian community and so forth, they felt like I was getting too, going too far with God. And I love them and I respect them. And I thank God that my mom taught me how to cast out demons and things like that. What a good thing to learn when you're 17 years old. But um, but I don't care. 
you know, all my brothers and sisters thought I was going too nuts for this Jesus stuff. All, I lost all my relationships with my old friends. I lost all my relationships with my family. And I prioritized Christ. And God has a way when you lay things on the altar of giving it back to you. Guess what? Guess who my brothers and sisters call now whenever they have a problem spiritually or relationally or whatever? Me. When, they need, uh, when one of their kids needs to get married, who do they call and say, will you take our kids through premarital counseling? And will you do the wedding for them? You know, so, you know, how things look today are not how they're going to look. So, again, the second step, water baptism. You should be saying, when can I get water baptized? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, we... Because of our unbelieving culture, we have an exact process. We have four teachings that are available on CD. They're not on the website. And there are four outlines. And we have people who know how to walk you through those. And I still walk a lot of people through those. And you need to get baptized in the Spirit at the start of your Christian walk. And... There's, a, there's just a reality of the power of the Holy Spirit that if you, if you don't really get flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and here's what happens to a lot of people. I hope uh, there's John Gray, so he won't mind. John Gray in, in uh, Leah had been brought up in a kind of Christianity that's very full of anti-supernatural uh, cessationist ideas, unbelief, and so forth. We had to have those Bible studies for six months with them before the lights started to go on. Because they had bricks and tons of debris of wrong spiritual confusion and religion heaped upon their life. John had a bachelor's degree in religious confusion. He did. So uh, at one point, Lee even said, you know what, I'm not getting this. I'm going to stop. And then privately, she read all the books on it and came back a few months later and said, I get it. I want this. Get me in. <laughs> and uh, But here's what happened to John and Leah. They start, they got baptized in the Spirit, and they kind of needed to go this far in the flow of the Spirit, and they kind of went this far. And I can remember even a six months or a year after they're getting Baptized in the Spirit, I was like praying for and talking to them with and about like how to how they need to get a little bit further along in sensing the reality of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and flowing in it and so forth. And the other Friday night, we're sitting in the basement after Friday Night Fellowship, and they're talking to John Weiss about a bunch of stuff in their life, and I'm eavesdropping. I always do. And uh, not saying anything, and I'm like, wow, they're so get it like 10 times more than a year ago. The realm, the, 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 the problem is this. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, Romans 14, 17, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. If walking in the power of the Spirit, if casting out demons, if seeing people actually get healed, if being able to call out to God for grace when you're dry and, and get refilled and, 
and, and flow in the power, if that's not real for you, you can't do this Christian life because it's not difficult, it's impossible. With men, it's impossible. There is nothing in the kingdom that a natural-minded person by your own strength can do. I, uh, apart from the grace of God and the power of God, I'm the most worthless Christian I've ever met. Got it? Now, let me just get to this last thing. Uh, well, I'm not going to do entering a new community lifestyle. I've, deliverance and healing. Here's where we have a, a lot of situations where a lot of people get stuck. Help somebody get unstuck. So lots of people get born again, water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they even do part five, where they start embracing a New Testament way of life. This happens a lot. Uh, which includes two, two aspects. Vertically, uh, you're, you're, having, you're having daily spiritual disciplines of reading God's word and, and so forth, and then communal disciplines of walking in the light with people and being in here for the Lord's day and being discipled by an older Christian and all those things. Lots of people have not gone through the deliverance and inner healing part. And uh, I was sitting on the back porch um, the other day listening to uh, one brother who went through the deliverance in the inner healing part and is just fantastically growing in the things of God in a very normal, looks like the Bible, actually. Imagine that. <laughs> and uh, very normal ways. And he was telling a young brother who gotten born again, baptized in water and baptized in the Spirit, why? That brother needed to focus on the deliverance and inner healing part because until you get that, there's just some entry doors of the kingdom that you're going to be stuck. Here's where, here's the problem. People, there's this vast kingdom out there. Jesus is the door and people stand at the door. Love this Christian life. And they look out and see it and they never enter it. You Deliverance from demons, inner healing from emotional, mental, spiritual wounds, breaking generational curses. If you don't know those concepts and you haven't experienced them, you're going to be held back in your experience with God in lots of ways. Lots of ways. So just to close, we have four books we'd like to, and I walk people through the baptism in the spirit thing. So I think that's maybe contributes to why, you know, I go after you and get the appointments. But, but you know what? I kind of wait for you to walk yourself through this, the fourth step. There's a book called The Total Forgiveness Experience, which Logan has read twice. And it's changed your life, hasn't it, Logan? Because most of us have had a lot of people just crap on our life in this culture. Right? Oaken came out of a dysfunctional family that, you know, messed his head up a lot. You know, we occasionally get some young person who's been raised in a wonderful Christian family and their family actually helped him grow, in the, but that's like one in a hundred nowadays. So total forgiveness experience, you need it because if you don't forgive, Matthew 18, you'll be turned over to the tormentors which is Bible speak for you'll have demonic problems. And almost everyone has never thought through 
the difference between humanistic forgiveness and biblical forgiveness, which there's a, I did a teaching on, on one of the evening sessions lately, and it's hopefully be on the podcast soon. Secondly, there's a book called Pigs in the Parlor by Frank United May Hanneman. One of the things you need to understand is there's a very erroneous teaching out there that says that how can a Christian have a demon because how can the Holy Spirit dwell in the same temple as, uh, as a demonic spirit? Well, A, how can your flesh dwell in the same temple? as the? You have an old nature that's still inside you with your new nature, which is filled with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Do you know that your old nature is more, more evil than any demonic spirit? Your old nature is, you, you know, that's a big problem in Christianity. We think we needed a little help. Your old, the sin nature is really bad. And that's why you need a rescuer, not just some therapy. Secondly, Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman, I can't grant your request to cast out the demons out of your daughter because you're a Syrophoenician and it's not good to give the children's bread. That's Bible speak for the children's inheritance. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He has to be your father to get the Holy Spirit. And he has to be your father to get deliverance. So when you're born again, you start the legal basis to, to cast the demons out. And you need someone who's an expert in knowing what, you know, some people want to, oh, good, I'm going to get deliverance. I'm going to solve all my problems. No, because you're still going to have to crucify your flesh and build new habits and discipline. But you need someone who's an expert at knowing the difference. And we need to multiply the number of people who are experts at that. Okay, inner healing. Almost everyone, the Bible says, um, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Now, all people can bear up under all kinds of physical pain and so forth and, and find a way to cope and keep moving on with life. I hurt my back when I was 18, and Managing my back pain is a daily part of my life for the last 41 years, and it's just that's just part of it. And but a spiritual wound you can't deal with. You can't look at it. You you build ways of coping to avoid it all. And just like taking a band-aid off, you've you've got to get that wound in the open and it's got to get healed. And people have all sorts of problems they've developed. In, in issues of not growing up emotionally and relationally and whatever because they got traumatized by some spiritual wound when their father or mother didn't act like a father or mother would have if there was no fall of man, right? And you just, you need to be healed. And it's supernatural and it's spiritual and it, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Then there's a finally, there's a thing called generational curses. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, talk about those. Where if uh, God is a jealous God visiting the, the, the iniquity of the fathers and the mothers on the children for the third and fourth generation. Now, if you do the math, that means going back to 30 of your grandparents. 
uh, you can have spiritual problems that were rooted in their spiritual problems, particularly any kind of idolatry. And if you can see that idolatry is any area, pride, money, greed, sex, whatever, that is not submitted to the worship of God. We come from, I come from idol-worshiping parents, and I had better Christian parents than 95% of kids today. Uh, you know, you have, you have generational stuff, control, witchcraft, whatever it is, but you have stuff you need delivered from. And I'll tell you, you know, I hope Stephen Leopold doesn't mind this, but one of the reasons Stephen has done so well is because when we prayed for him to get baptized in the Spirit and deliverance, and we've had three different sessions with Stephen where he ended up on the floor and, and wrenching as, thing, as powerful things came out of him and having to, to pray through tears and forgive and, and forgive uh, people who'd really messed up his life and, and, and ask forgiveness for people whose lives he's messed up but because he did all that, he's growing leaps and bounds more than a lot of people because you've got to get step four done. Now, I don't care that it's 1215. I love you. And I, what I, here's what I, I, I see people who get the first three steps done. And for some reason, they never go to, through and get step four done. And often they're still drunkards or still whatever, you know, passive and can't, can't function in life or, and so forth. One year later, two years later, five years later, that's just not normal. The normal Christian life is that Jesus comes in your life in such a way that you get set free from this stuff. Now, we have decided as a church to have a painstakingly loving kind of way of walking where we'll, you're, you're still welcome here, we love you here, we hope you come, and so forth, and we have people who do that. But we really want you to have it all. I want this, you to, to become emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, knowledgeable, wise, blessed in your finances, blessed in your vocation, blessed in your marriage, blessed in your emotions, blessed in your relationships. I want you living a rich, abundant life. And step four is an absolute essential uh, if you're going to go through that. Now, I'm going to embarrass Deanna Brown now since I'm embarrassing everyone. There are, uh, there are probably an occasional person like Deanna Brown who was raised by Christian parents and in a godly way uh, who didn't doesn't need step four that much. But she still had to work through some things about forgiveness, which she did and some things her church did before and and in inner healing and different things. She still needed some of it. Because we live in a fallen world and everybody needs some of it. But most of us need a lot of it. And my wife and I have watched you know, we have 40-some years of walking with God now in, in four or five different radical Christian communities, and we've been also part of kind of normal Americanized churches and so forth, and we've kind of watched who does well and who doesn't do well over years and years and years. Uh, 
And the big difference for us is both of us went through inner healing and deliverance around four times our first year, year of being a Christian. And that has affected the rest of my life. That is why I am who I am in Christ today. And I thank God for a mother who got me started doing all that. Amen.